This episode of Making Games is Fun is with Daniel Kruper of RKG. Daniel makes up one third of RKG along with Gav Murphy and Rory Powers. And they formed when they all decided to leave IGN after their successful YouTube series Prepare to Try did even better than they thought it would. It was initially kind of a throwaway thing. The Dark Souls 3 was coming out and they thought, let's do a little sort of challenge series. Can we beat Dark Souls 1 before Dark Souls 3 is released? And what they didn't realize would happen is over the course of filming that, their friendship grew and grew and they, they bonded a lot more than they had previously. And it was that on-screen and off-screen bonding that made people really love the show to the point where they thought, wait a minute, could this be a full-time consideration? Could this be our job, like, all the time? And as the frustration grew with them wanting to do more and more, but obviously having to keep their day job in check, as it were, they finally took the plunge, left IGN, a job they all really loved, to try and do something that they loved even more. So I met up with Dan in the new RKG studio, a year after they have uh, taken the plunge and gone solo. So we talk about what it feels like to hit that year milestone. We talk about Dan's childhood and his history growing up with games and his Ukrainian background as well and how that all kind of factored in to making him the person he is today. And we talk about how he was once a, a very shy bloke and how IGN brought him right out of his shell. And yeah, we sort of tile that up and see how it all got him to where he is today and that's really cool to sort of analyze his past and and see what makes him who he is dan's lovely we had a great chat we really get on and it's a really nice pod and i'm sure you'll love it finally a very quick advert for the patreon i'll be well quick i promise we've got a patreon and you can have a one dollar tier or a three dollar tier but anything you contribute really helps us out it really does So if you enjoyed this and you want to help us make more of it, head over to patreon.com forward slash M-G-I-F. It really, really is appreciated. Right, that's me done with the advert. Get ready to enjoy the next episode of Making Games is Fun with Daniel Kruper. I know, I know. It's quite something, isn't it? How do you do it? The magic. <laughs> <laughs> Stood in front of get a picture we've of only, me. Um, we've only been here about four months now. You've been here for four months? Four months. We got. Uh, we picked up the keys early September, but we didn't really do anything in it for a month because we didn't own anything. <laughs> so yeah. we had to like, it's quite a big, like tall, like very high ceiling. So it's quite echoey. And we were like, oh, we need to film in here soon. So we knew we need to start filming um, the retry Sekiro series. So we ordered a bunch of emergency sound blankets to try and <laughs> make it as soundproof and non echoey as possible. Emergency sound blankets. Yeah. That's it, isn't it? The business. I mean, it's a hard thing to Google. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, it does a job. And like, it, we're quite happy with how it looks on camera. But it's going to be. Yeah, we're going to spend a lot of time next year like making this like, our home, whereas in the last year we just had to like get it functional. Yeah, it's like kind of quite sweet is that process of like coming into a new home and you put a few familiar things up at first that you brought from your old home and then over time it sort of grows as, as you grow as people Yeah, and a family and things just add to the walls and then you turn around and you think, this is, this is this home. Is, this is not a house. 
It is home. <laughs> uh, but it's been, so you've been here, did you say four months? But yeah, but September is when we got it. So we, we, we looked at it for the first time on um, Powers' birthday. Oh, right. Which is, which everyone knows is in summer. And we, <laughs> we, ca- we, ca- yeah, we just came to this place and it was really nice, really cool space. Um, it's enough like to have desks, big shooting space, but it's just a shell. It used to be an old dressmakers. So when we came in, there was right. um, those people busily making um, dresses for Fashion Week, I think. Oh, right. Or something like so that. It's still in use as you came from. Yeah. Um, so it's quite strange, but it's it's got potential, let's say that. But you've actually just completed your first year. Yeah. As RKG. Yeah. We just went into literally the one year anniversary was last week. And you did a birthday stream. We did a birthday stream. Oh, did and it, it was really fun. I think some of my favorite streams are when the game isn't maybe the main thing. It's more about hanging out with our community. Mm. So the whole thrust of the stream was like, we just want to hang out and celebrate one year of doing this. And on the same day, we we relaunched the patron. So, you know, not huge changes. It wasn't like we were like releasing 20 new shows and stuff like that. But we like, I think smartly changed some of the tiers to make it better value if you're already a patron and maybe more worthwhile if you weren't one. It makes sense to review it as well if you've done a year, seen how it goes. Yeah, I think we were talking about it's like, there's no reason we can't do it like, every few months there's no hard and fast rule it's like no i think that's the thing you kind of last year we set out our stall as it were and we spent a long time putting together those tiers because you know it's what we say in the new patron video it's like we don't want to put like major stuff behind a paywall and be really aggressive with it like if we put every other episode of retry behind a paywall i'm Mm. sure we'd make like maybe make double the money or something but just don't think that's a very cool thing to do and it's maybe and it kind of limits you know getting it to a new audience if that's a thing and it becomes a little bit like a walled garden yeah um yeah it's just not a very friendly thing to do but at the same time if you're asking people to you know get behind you like generously and financially like you want to make it good value for people you want people to think oh this is a good use of my money um so i think that's always the fine balance i think some of the changes that we brought to it think kind of does that also you know you set those sort of patreon rewards and those tiers before you start obviously you didn't you weren't going in totally dry because we started with prepare to try yeah but it's very yeah but it is a very different thing but it's a different thing and it's and it's your own thing to set up and you can't until you've actually started doing it you have to sort of have some foresight and go well this is how i imagine it's gonna go but you don't know what rate people would um, use those things that you offer them yeah. and then after a while you go oh I can see that we've got X amount of people at this tier but only this percentage of people redeem that thing Yes, can we come up with a better thing than that thing? Yeah. Not that they don't appreciate it but I'd rather over 50% of the people at the tier thought hey that's a cool thing I like getting rather than 20% or, mm. or something like that and so yeah so basically you've got data now and you've yeah. got and also just the experience of doing it. What does it feel like to do it? And 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 what what is the response? And yeah, and you yeah. sort of tailor that. So it's 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 a smart thing to do. Well, I think the biggest thing to figure out is like I know we know what people like that we put out. Don't want to put all that behind the patron, but at the same time, we should put some stuff that's like that behind the patron because we know that's what people value most. Yeah. So like from now on this year, we're going to put a new show every month. Um, all episodes at once for patrons. So if you're a $10 patron, you get all these episodes at once, like a Netflix show. Mm. But if you're not a patron, they eventually come to our YouTube channel later. So you don't miss out on them. But if you want to get in early and binge a new show, you can do. Because we know that that dynamic, that format is the thing that people like the most. Yeah. Rather than, you know, us giving you a sticker. Yeah. And you're rewarded because if you are interested enough in the show to become a patron, then you... That is something that you will appreciate. That's genuine value, I think, because it's more of the thing I like. Yeah, you know. So, how does it feel to get that year milestone under your belt? It's good. It's gone frighteningly quickly, Mm. um, really quickly. Um, So, I remember launch day like incredibly vividly. I remember being worried and not like anxious and feeling kind of like sick and stomach turning over because it was a big thing to like 
for all of us to quit jobs that we really love that we say that a lot but it's because it's, it's true you know mm. i loved working at IGN and i worked there for like seven and a half years it's a long time and loved the people i worked with in the uk office and overseas so it's a big thing to leave that but it's something we felt passionately about it's something we felt like could offer us a future and we had like a couple of little tests along the way that indicated that it wouldn't flop mm. but you still don't know and we had like plan A, B, C, depending on how it went in right. that first month or so. Like plan one, can we do this full time? It's the only thing we do, mm. which fortunately is how it ended up. Um, it's enough for us to do the show, but maybe less like do a series and then take gaps and we do other work individually. Do we work for companies? Do we do, oh, there's lots of different ways that we could have done it as a business, but yeah. we, we all made like a promise to each other, like we're in it together. Mm. Um, but yeah so it was really like exciting the day we pressed the button and put it live and then within a few hours we felt like oh I think this is this is a goer this is gonna be a future what do you miss about your old job what do you miss about IGN um, I had a better chair <laughs> um, no just the people I worked with they were brilliant and some of the best friends I ever made yeah like obviously two of them came along came as well with, yeah and we all did it together but like yeah some of the best people this is great times with also people in the uk office we were particularly close and we still see them a lot but loads of people in the australian and the us office that just became really good friends with i worked with for years and just got to hang out a lot so i kind mm. of miss working with them yeah when a when a session runs long right mm -hmm. because obviously we're playing difficult games or yeah games with challenge right and it's usually Rory playing, right? Mm -hmm. And if you get stuck, it makes me think of like, you know, you see those outtakes where it's a comedy show or a sitcom and someone has to get through a line or there's like three of them and they have to get through this scene. There's a particular line that's setting everybody off, right? Mm -hmm. And they have to keep taking it and keep taking it. And it gets to a point where it's actually not fun anymore. And they'll have, and it's like, no, we, please, please no mm -hmm. one laugh because we, we've got fucking, we've got an hour left and we have to get this. Obviously, you don't. Now this is your place. You don't necessarily have that time restriction, but you do on deadline. We'll switch over to edit. Yeah, yeah. I suppose you will have that, won't you? Um, but is there a point where, like, because you know it's a hard game, and I know we're. How can we get around this without spoiling any any future content? But you know, we know we know that Sekiro is coming. Yeah, and there are points in that game, for example, Genichiro. Yeah, that are. Like I'm not gonna. I love that game. Great walls go for some people. Ganitro is brilliant because he teaches you how to play the second. The rest of the game, game, yeah. And it's properly like I think it's a, a stroke of genius that boss because it's going. Wait, okay, you've had the tools to get up to here. It's the first one that really teaches you damage it. isn't necessarily important. Yes. So when you get something like that, how do you deal with that kind of unexpected? Throwing us off. I think this is something we used to encounter a lot at IGN. Was where our time, where we could spend less time making the show, it was very hard to plan where we would get up to. And we were filming less far in advance at IGN. So this was more pressing then, where we need an episode to go out next Saturday. We need to get past this this week. Yeah. So we used to stay late quite a lot. Now we're working a bit further in advance, but we still need to hit certain points in the game. Mm. I just give us more time than we need when we're filming, we're baking more filming time. But yeah. also, the frustration, the failure, that's literally the format. Yes. So it's not, it is frustrating, but it's not frustrating from a production point of view because no. actually that makes the episodes better. It's building into the drama. Because yeah. Dark Souls 2, we kind of, we breeze through quite a lot of that game mm. and we breeze through quite a lot of the bosses and they just weren't the same episodes. Like, there's very good moments in that series. I really love the character we made. It was the first series we made on the channel. I think this will be a better series and feel a bit more like classic episodes of Proposed Try because Rory is struggling more. Yes. And there's no way of getting around it through leveling or weapon selection, really. Yeah. I know you can use the arm for some bosses, but it's you can't circumvent no. challenge in that game in the same way. And it's a good it's a good choice, I think, for the for the show because... Miyazaki sort of purposefully reset 
the mechanics again, and said, yeah. again. And yeah, said, like after Bloodborne, he's done it. But yeah, again. Well, with Bloodborne, you could go in and go... But you can't, you can't do the shield and move around strategy. You could hack away at things and retreat, I guess, but... You could, yeah. It still had the similar, like, the only difference to you, you had to get used to was it's a bit faster and you won't be able Shielded. to block. Yeah. So there was, there was a lot of DNA shared. But with Sekiro, it's like we've inverted the controls for you. And you're going, oh no, left was right, and it's bloody left. Yeah, and, and just a lot be... of the season is getting Rory's head around that. I think the most glaring example of him doing it is that he's he, of Miyazaki, <laughs> like like he's my mate, of Miz doing it right. Is he's gone? What he's done? Yeah, what he's done is he said, you know, how you recover stamina, right? Is By this what he said down the Zakaya? Yeah, on the yeah. pub on a Friday night. You know, <laughs> you, you know your stamina. Listen, mate, you know stamina, right? What if? We swapped it around, right? That'd piss them off, wouldn't it? So usually, if you block in Dark Souls, your stamina yeah, recovers yeah. slower. Where in this, the point is to block whole block to recover it. And it's a proper, like, I feel like it's a uh, proper line in the sand. And it said, look, this is how different it is. It's taken a, I was going to say, it's taken a few sessions yes. to get <laughs> um, the, the brain rewired. Yeah. But it also, but, but also, again, he's not just done it in this arbitrary, oh, I'm being a dick sort of way. It makes sense in the context of the world and, and the characters because what you're doing is you're, you're, you're sort of regaining your footing and he holds down and, and he's, he's rec reclaiming, re sort of positioning himself, his stance, you know, proper samurai, getting his stance back. And that's I think why it's also when, when you learn that system, um, when you feel like you may have mastered that system, I think we've talked about this previously, it's almost like you feel like Neo at the end of the Matrix, mm. where you can go into boss fights and almost perfect them. Yes. And you are a, a master shinobi because they can't even get near you. Yes. They can't even land a hit. <clears throat> yeah. And that's a very powerful feeling going to a boss that, you know, because in Dark Souls, there's bosses, there's ways of cheesing them, there's ways of getting health, running away, healing. Yeah. Whereas the best boss fights in Sekiro when you master them, is they're not even landing a hit on you. Mm. They can't do anything to yeah. you. Yeah. Which is an amazing feeling. Yes. I'm watching Matt Murray from the computer game show play Drew Secker at the moment, and it's fair to say he's he's pretty shit at it. Um, I was going to say he won't mind me saying that, but he will, but it's true. So I mean, honestly, sorry, it's good. <laughs> um, and he's up to um, a boss. Why am I being all spoiled? I love that game so much I don't want to spoil it for anybody. There is a boss quite far through that has two phases, right? Oh, okay, yeah, um, that's that's a big one. I don't think that's been spoiled for Gavin or Rory yet. I'm really looking forward to his reaction to yeah, that. Yeah, I really moment. hope it hasn't. So it's another incarnation. He's actually at the yep. second incarnation of that particular thing, right? And there's two phases to that as well. <laughs> and it's just funny to see him. Just uh, I think he, he finally beat it yesterday as at the time of recording. But that first phase, he was he was really stressing out about the second phase because there's two things to fight, and um, and he was whinging about it and going, oh, "It's not okay." And see what I'm doing. But he was so annoyed. But he had, he didn't notice that he had the first phase down. He wasn't even getting hit in the first phase. But he wasn't going, "Oh, I've, I've got that one, I've got that one down to a T. Brilliant." He was just like going, "Yeah, I'll just do this bit, chung 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 chung, second bit." And it was really funny to see that without him really even noticing that he was he was doing it. Was getting it, better, yeah. You know, and I was like, Matt, you're getting better though. And look, look, and he's it's, there's always that next thing to stress about. Yeah, yeah. Some life lessons in there. <laughs> always, always. Isn't he sticking? That's why I say that the pub. As the message of this game is, there's always something to stress about. <laughs> is that is that's, that an ancient Shinobi epithet? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Loads of stresses back then. Oh no, is this the, is this the yeah. next episode? Seen feudalism, it? massive stress. <laughs> feudalism, massive stress. Oh, hated it, me. Yeah, I wasn't, I was, get that out that's of here. That's because you and me be working in fields, that's why. <laughs> Field boys. Yeah. So yeah, a bit of a tangent, but it was just, um, I just found that interesting, that pressure to get a bit done. It's yeah. what, I guess but that's that where... That is what we're trying to bottle. Like, we want mm. the pressure, we want the stress, we, we want the tension. That's why the show is called Retry. Before it was prepared to try, and it was trying to dispel that notion that these games are impossible to play. Mm. That was the whole ori original concept behind the show. Yeah. Like, I say there's a concept. It was more like, Dark Souls 3 is coming out, should we make something? So that's why we did yeah. it. Yeah. But you find along the way, 
that oh you've got a format here and that's maybe why it's resonating with people that's one of the things that people like there's other things going on when it came to like when it came to coming up with a new name for this show yeah retry seemed appropriate because that's at the heart of the format it's a hard game we keep on going we keep on going until we do it sure so you, that makes but, sense you know a synonym for never giving up is yeah. really the thrust of the show like with the sport of your mates you can get through anything so I'm really interested in the place or the sort of intersection where games become work because we've seen it as we're covering just then, you know, in journalism, it's, it's pretty obvious where you don't get to enjoy a game in its natural habitat or its natural habitat as it was intended. Um, you see it in games testing because the classic advert was, hey, come and play games all day for a living, whereas actually it's... You, you're not playing it. You're this one running, tiny area again and again and again and again. Yeah, running into walls, trying to break it, you know, which can be quite fun. But, um, and also I think of, imagine this, I think of fighting games, right? Where you can really get into a fighting game. But if it's your job, and again, people will just roll their eyes, but you get up in the morning, you play that game, you have to play that game and you have to play it all day until dusk, until dusk yeah. you know, but you have to play it for like a job's worth of time, right? You have a little lunch break, get back on it. Otherwise, you won't be competitive enough to earn money by actually placing in it, you know what I mean? So there are times, you know, even a game you really, really enjoy, you have the freedom to just go, I'm not feeling this now, I'm knackered, I've played it too much, my eyes are hurting, I'm, I'm making big mistakes, I'm, I'm just tired, I'm just going to go and do something else. But you, but you can't. Because yeah. you need you need to earn from it, so then it becomes a job, and it's not, you know, you know what that, I mean. It's it's an odd all yeah, those things. I know what you're odd saying. Spot where you go, and you guys must have it as well. No, like this is fucking wicked. <laughs> no, genuinely, this is the most no. fun I've ever. No, I definitely know what you're saying, and iGen definitely felt like that. Mm. iGen best place I've ever worked because like this is something different. But it's a job. Yeah, and the, I did some of the most amazing things I've ever done at IGN. Like some of the most amazing things I've ever done. I I went to Japan. I went to South Africa. I had dinner with Neil Gaiman. I met J.J. Abrams. I interviewed Guillermo del Toro for an hour. You're not going to be like, oh, fuck these so. are brilliant stuff yeah. that you wouldn't get with any other job. A lot of the time, a lot of the time, it was a normal office job. Yeah. I very rarely played a game out on my desk outside my lunch break. Mm. Um, a lot of it was meetings, answering emails, speaking to people on the phone. Yeah. I'm not saying anyone to feel sorry for me, but a lot of it, like 90% of the job was pretty normal yeah. jobby yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, but it was an amazing experience and it really changed me and turned me into a different kind of person. Um, made me way more confident. I used to be like painfully shy before I got that job and over time really helped with that. Um, this is something different. This is our own business. This is our own channel. It's never felt like that in um, the year that we've been doing it. Yeah. Um, there's been times where you go, oh, we have to get a bit more serious here. And that's what we've kind of done at the end of last year. We've started filming further in advance just so we can do more this year because we are only three people. Yeah, and we've used um, a couple of freelancers um, in the latter half of the year to free us up because we have like a big production problem. All three of us are on camera at once, mm. so when we're filming, nothing else can happen, yes. which is actually a big production bottleneck. Mm. Like no one can be planning the next thing. Yeah, no one can be editing the last thing. Yeah, nobody can be publishing the next thing. Yeah, so if we have filming time everything else stops, mm. which is not very sensible when you want to be doing more. So we've um, used some of um, the patron funds to pay for freelancers to help us make more and get ahead. Mm. And that's something we want to try and do more this year. So if you're a viewer, whether you're a patron or just a YouTube subscriber, you're like, oh, I'm getting two drops a week. So it feels like you're getting more yeah. and you're not seeing how it's being done. <laughs> go back you were saying about how your job at IGN helped you overcome shyness yeah yeah I, d I def were definitely you, think that were you like painfully shy when you started how, uh, how did you start at IGN? I was 25 26 uh, so I used to be like a really um 
confident child hmm. until I um, probably hit teenage years. Hmm. And then got really chubby and really spotty. Right. And it takes a dent on your confidence, that'll that, Gary. Do it. I'll do it. Um, and then I think I just kind of like, just through various life things, just became quite... Um, introverted slightly um not with people that i knew well but like just in general and then i kind of continued down the world of academia because i didn't really know what else to do with my life which yeah. makes you more introverted especially because i was doing uh um literature spent a lot of time just reading in libraries yep. it, it basically exacerbates that situation <laughs> and then i got the job at ign and suddenly you're thrust in situations where you either change or you're not going to have the job for long. Not yeah. that that was ever said to me, but <laughs> yeah. if you if you're pushed in situation, if you pushed into a situation, plunged into a situation where you're going to a junket and you've gone to view a famous person, yeah, it's a real sink or swim moment. Mm, yeah. And I think the second week on the job, I had to go interview Tom Hardy, and he was um, filming Dark Knight Rises at the time, so he was Bane Tom Hardy, and he was huge. <laughs> and sitting across from him, and you go. In these five minutes, I've got to give it something to get something back that I have to take back to the office that we have to run on the website. Yeah. So suddenly, your brain's being rewired and you're like, if I want this job, if I want to succeed, I'm going to have to change a bit. Yes. And that happened really gradually over time. Mm. So I became more comfortable in those kind of situations. So it's slightly not quite as intense a pressure situation, but it makes me think of when um, I did my first photo gig. Um, for uh, for games TM, I just speculatively emailed them, the art editor, and said, uh, "Do you want any pictures? Do you know, you know, here's some." I'd, I'd got my family and mates over and just done portraits of everyone. That's what my website was, and I showed them that, and they were like, "Oh yeah, we've got a interview next week with Suda Fifty One. Uh, what are your rates?" And I'm just like, uh, "What are my rates? I don't know. Oh yeah, I'll come down um, and go into that and being like." We didn't have time to do the pictures, so they asked if I could come back the next day on my own. So I'm like, yeah, sure. So I just came back on my own, and it was uh, Super 51 and this translator. And like just that that sort of deep end situation of like having to tell him what to do through a translator to direct him to get some decent photographs. You've got to own that situation. Like Confidence yeah. has to come from you in yeah. those situations. Yeah. yeah. You learn that over time and with experience, but yeah, towards the end of IGM, we were getting people in and you have to be a wrangler and mm. kind of direct people. Yeah. And nobody listens to the director that is second guessing themselves or going, oh, do you think maybe, would that be okay yeah. for you? And it's something that I was always a bit gutted about is that my second ever shoot was with Miyamoto. And I wish it wasn't, I wish it was much later because I just, we did it in a hotel room with during the interview and I got a couple of snaps and I was terrified of taking a picture because it made a noise and I didn't take very many. And at the end of the interview, the PR said, would you like some a bit more time to get some portraits? And I said, no, I'm fine. Because <laughs> you wanted like, you, I was just you like, kind of wanted it to be over. You're like, oh, I've done it. That's you? okay. I don't, I, fuck knows why I said it. I didn't, you know, and now I think, why did you say that? Why didn't you just squeeze as much time out as you could? You know, well, I just went, nah. Nah, I think we've got it. Um, and not only that, just, you know, better ability to take a better portrait later on and that sort of thing. But yeah, it's just something that makes you think of that. But yeah, we did a bunch of stuff at IGN where I think it seasoned me quite early. And um, we had like, we we had Kojima in for two hours, caught like a few years into me being there. And you have these surreal moments where, you're, oh, Seth Rogen's in the office and he's right <laughs> next to me because IGN gets amazing access and it has the pull where you can get these people into the office. And you go, oh, Seth Rogen. And I'm going to be here with Seth Rogen at 11 a.m. Because he didn't know what time zone it was. It was like, we were like, um, would you like a cup of coffee or a tea? And he was, he said, um, can I have a beer? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. I'm going to be with Seth Rogen at like <laughs> before 12. <laughs> it's like, what's going on here? Yeah. And it's funny because you do, fun, you do a few of those things and you get used to realizing that, oh, it's just someone doing their job. It's just yeah. The and invariably, people are just, I think the thing that I used to worry about more was, oh, I don't want them to be mean to me. 
<laughs> I don't want like a horrible story or something awkward or embarrassing. Yeah. I think that's the thing what made me really shy when I was self-conscious. Like, I don't want to be embarrassed. Yes. Because I'll go home and I'll think about that for the next two years. Yeah. I don't, I, that's the thing <laughs> I can't cope with. Yeah. Um, but then more like people always say, um, oh, it was really horrible. It was not very nice. And to be honest, I can't really remember. I don't think there was anything really that bad because the worst is they're just not interested because mm. it's the most boring part of their job. These mm. people want to be actors or performers or uh, game directors. They don't want to be interviewed. No. Some people do. The good thing about some actors is they might be bored, but they act like they're not because they're good actors. Yeah. They turn it on and they see like they see promotion as a necessary part of the job yes. and they know what you want and they give it some. Those yeah. are always the best interviews. Yeah. And they, they realize the value in it. Yeah. If, and if they're out there. Yeah. And they make an effort to seem like, and they might really be being very nice, but they meet you like they care what your name is. Mm -hmm. And they're like, hello, it's nice to meet you. It's like the Tom Cruise thing, yeah. right? Yeah. Don't know if you listen to Adam and Adam Buxton's podcast or like Joe. But that's probably why one of the reasons why he's one of the most successful men in Hollywood is yes. he makes everyone feel like they're the most important person in the room. Yeah, he goes to the person he doesn't know first, doesn't he? And goes over and Such like gives him the handshake and goes, hi, I'm Tom. That's like his thing. That's so yeah. I actually have a story about Tom Cruise from a friend who... He's also called Tom, and he went to a junket for Night and Day, which is a pretty bad Tom Cruise film with Cameron Diaz. <laughs> and there's a big action sequence, I think, in Seville. So part of the junket was they knew it was probably not a very good movie. Right. So they go along, <laughs> and you get um, Tom Cruise will drive you around Seville in a race car. So everyone got to go in a race <laughs> car with Tom so Cruise. Good. So my friend Tom got in a race car with Tom Cruise, went around 90 miles an hour the streets of Seville. The next day, my friend Tom is waiting to check out of his hotel room. Tom Cruise comes through the lobby, sees my friend Tom. Admittedly, it's the same name, but still, Tom Cruise goes all the way across the lobby. Go, hey, nice to meet you, Tom. Have a safe <laughs> journey home and walks off. Yeah. My friend Tom's just sat there going, oh, that's good, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Tom, Cruise, Tom Cruise knows who I am. Yeah. It's nice. You're a Lancashire boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fist bump. Oh, there you go. Lancashire first bump. You know what? You're more Bolton than Manchester. Yeah, that's Lancashire. They, they, but they've like divested from Lancashire now. This is really nice chat. <laughs> Bolton yeah. now says it's Greater Manchester. It does, doesn't it's, it? What's, what's all that about? I always used to tell people Greater Manchester as well. Uh, see, uh, well, not always, but you know, depends. Not carpet when I go, When I go... That's so, so laser focused. Um, I um, remember um, on my granddad's funeral thing, they they everyone referred to him as a Lancastrian man, and he was a very Lancastrian man. He had his top hat, and he was very mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a certain quality. Yeah, it's a certain quality. What was top hat, flat cap? That's it. That's Definitely didn't have a top hat. <laughs> oh, yeah, you said top hat, and yeah. I was like, I just went, yeah, yeah, top yeah, hat. Yeah, it's um, uh, running um, salt of the earth, run of the mill, Lancashire man, top hat, monocles. Um, look like the guy who sells peanuts. Yeah, yeah, that guy, yeah. So you're a Lancashire boy. Mm-hmm. So where does the name Krupa come from? Um, it is, well, it's an Eastern European, it's a Slovak name, um, mm. but it's quite common in Poland, but it's Ukrainian. So my um, father was born to Ukrainian grandparents who met in England, but were both born in Ukraine, um, opposite sides of Ukraine. And the, yeah, they were obviously displaced because of the Second World War. Yes. It means barley. It means barley. It means barley, yeah. Daniel Barley. Yeah, Daniel Barley. Would that it's be like, like your acting name? <laughs> <laughs> um, Dan Barley. Yeah, it's quite good, isn't it? It's not bad, is it? Dan Barley. Yeah. It's also an Indian girl's first name. It means kindness or forgiveness, I think, oh, in yes. Hindi, I think. Something like that. And occasionally I get added into South Asian Twitter. <laughs> Some people just put at Krupa. I think it's the name of a famous female architect. Oh. So they keep tagging me in, um, by verified accounts, like um, South Asian architecture magazines going, look at this wonderful building Krupa made. I was like, I have nothing to do with this. It looks lovely. <laughs> nothing to do with me, mate. Nothing uh, to do with me. I was, on a, I was on a press trip to see shooting locations from Game of Thrones, which was in Croatia. And on the third day, we went to Split. 
and I was speaking to my mum on the phone, and I said, oh, we're going to split today. She doesn't watch Game of Thrones, but I was just like, we are going to see some of the shooting locations from Game of Thrones. Oh, that's lovely. That's where you were conceived. <laughs> and I was like, what? That's where you were conceived. Me and your dad went on holiday to Yugoslavia in 1985. It was lovely. <laughs> Cheers, mum. Speak to you tomorrow. <laughs> Ukraine. Ukraine. What do you want to know about Ukraine? I've never been. Have you never been? No, my dad never went either. Um, my grandma used to go back quite a lot, but they were, yeah. They Where were did they spend most of their time growing up? And Who? Your parents. My parents, um, just Lancashire. Blackburn, oh, yeah. Blackburn, Preston, Lango area. And what did they do? What did they do? Um, they just, they worked for Norweb, Norweb electricity company. <laughs> I like you put a, a little, de- little a defunct power on. company. Um, yeah, that's where they met. Oh, um, but uh, it was kind of fun growing up because we had a big extended Ukrainian community that I was a part of, which sadly kind uh, sadly kind of died out as I became a teenager. Right. But when I was a kid, there was um. There's a big house in Blackburn that all this community um, clubbed together and bought. I think they must have bought in the 70s. And it was a community center for Ukrainians. It's called mm. the Ukrainian Club. And I think they made quite a lot of money to keep it going because it had a special dispensation to have a booze license on a Sunday. Right. So they used to open to the wider public on a Sunday and make a bunch of money from people who wanted to drink on a Sunday when normal pubs weren't open. Right. And then they used all that money just to keep it going and put on events. And my grandma and my grandfather were quite prominent in this community. And my grandma used to do a lot of the cooking. My grandfather would help run the business with my dad just to do the books. But mainly I think it's just blokes speaking Ukrainian, getting pissed and smoking cigars. Sure. But I used to be... From school, like we weren't rich or anything, but from school, I used to get picked up by like a man in a car, like a chauffeur. But it was just like my granddad's mate who was Ukrainian. And they would drive me to the Ukrainian club. See, me and my cousins would always joke, are we in the mafia? (laughs) Because we'd recently watched The Godfather as kids. And like, is (laughs) is what it's like. Is is our grandfather? Because he was very well-dressed. He would um, always wear like a shirt, tie, nice suit, um, very slick back hair. He looked like a Don and he would always sit in the corner of the bar and all these like, all these Ukrainian men would sit around him and we would speculate, who do you think, who do you think, who do you think the hitman is? Who do you think's done the most wax? <laughs> and um, so we, and my grandma would be downstairs with all the other batches, uh, which is Ukrainian for grandma, um, cooking. So I used to be picked up from school sometimes, driven to the Ukrainian club sit downstairs and they would have this big kitchen and they would be cooking dumplings and borscht and I'd get my dinner separately Right. Uh, while my granddaughter was upstairs having meetings about the liberation of Ukraine. It, the Soviet Union had, had dissolved by then, but they were still like, how to make Ukraine great again. Right. That bec- that's become a popular motto recently. It? <laughs> um, and yeah, it was really lovely being a part of this extended family and um, it just... A lot of those people's kids moved away. A lot of, right. obviously, that community died. Um, we never learned the language. So you add all those things up and it kind of just kind of fades away, which is really sad. But it was like, it was a lovely way of growing up. Yeah. Does that, um, when did that go through all your teenage years? Or? I think it probably started to dwindle when I was like 12 or 13. Right. Okay. So it was uh, like a childhood. Just, cause, like, just because my grandma's friends started dying right yeah this late 70s early 80s a lot of their kids had moved out of blackburn and came to the point where they just had to sell the place and it it just disappears and i think if you don't pass down language Mm. it's really hard to maintain traditions really yeah it was a bit resent like always a bit resentful that we weren't taught ukrainian as kids i was fluent not fluent, but I could speak it until I was about five or six. I knew right. I was apparently fluent to that age. Yes. Because uh, like my grandma, my bab, she used to take care of me before and at, like all day while my mum and dad were at work. And she'd only speak to me in Ukrainian. Right. And it got to the point where apparently I stopped speaking English at home. Uh. And my mum said, can you not? Because <laughs> he, he does need to go to school in a couple of years. It's going to be difficult. 
Yeah. Um, what, what, so why? So they just so from that age you just. Yeah, I remember having um, Cyrillic flashcards as a kid learning Cyrillic. Yeah. And it just stopped. Just stopped. And I think you're a certain age. If it's not pressed upon you, you just. It should have started earlier. It should have just continued and it wouldn't have felt like learning. It's easy to say that looking back because you get to a point where you go, this is effort. Mm. Um, but it was a fun place to grow up and we used to have, they used to have regular um, like meals and like there was probably good when it was full, a good 100, 200 people in the dining room. Right. And this thriving community and as the kids of this community we used to have to do stuff like, we used to do things like, um, there used to be days where it was the anniversary of the death of a famous Ukrainian poet. And <laughs> and there would be a celebratory meal, but then a very somber bit where someone on stage would make a speech and me or my cousins would have to stand on stage in a shirt and tie holding a portrait of a dead Ukrainian poet. Holy shit. And just look very solemn and serious while my cousins tried to make me laugh across the room. <laughs> but we're all mourning the death of Taras Shevchenko. Oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah. It's definitely different, especially that the uh, children's uh, propensity to undermine that sort of thing as well. Yeah, we used to have to go to Ukrainian mass. Uh, I think it was only once a month, but it was orthodox, so it was all sung and it was about three hours long. <sighs> you imagine being kids just in church for yeah. three hours. Like an hour is bad enough, but three hours just led on the. F I remember lying on the floor in pews just going when is it going to end and that ain't comfy either no so how long did all did that did all that go on for three hours now um <laughs> yeah how long I were you uh, attending church and for oh church um i was an altar boy until i was 11 right um i went to catholic school went to catholic secondary school went to catholic college um my grandma used to go to mass I, I think I did a lot of it to make my grandma happy. She was very religious, very, very religious, very right. Catholic. Um, she always had a horrible life with all the um, the war. Sorry, it makes it sound really... She had a horrible life because the, the the war stuff. All that war. Extremely awful life. Mm. And I think it gave her a lot of... It sounds like I'm being really dismissive of it, but gave her a lot of comfort and um, she put a lot of um, value in it. So I think... I did a lot of the altar boy stuff to make her happy. Because mm. it gets to a point where I just didn't believe myself personally. Just no. But if you're an altar boy at my school, it used to mean you get out of school quite frequently. Anytime there was a, a funeral or a, a wedding, they're like, hey, boys, we need you. Someone needs scramble them. Traits. Yeah. Have you seen Top Gun? <laughs> it's like that. Scrambling them. It's like Top Gun. Yeah. Um, you just run across the playground to the church because it was adjoining it's to the first school. first boys and then we yeah. get over there. Iceman, Maverick. <laughs> you need to hold a portrait yeah. of a dead poet. Oh, here comes Judas. <laughs> so growing up in a with a very religious background. Um with well I'm surrounded by religion. Surrounded I by wouldn't religion. say my day to day, nor my parents, nor I was very religious. So your parents so didn't carry that through? Not really. I think if you ask my mum, does God exist? She would say yes, but say wouldn't do that. None of her behaviour would yeah, indicate necessarily you shouldn't go to church or anything. Yeah. I was just wondering whether there was a clash or whether there was um, apprehension around video games. So sort of that relationship between playing games. And no, uh, that never existed. Yeah. Um, if anything, quite the opposite. I uh, my mum plays video games. She always loved playing video games. I think one of the first things my mum and dad bought when they moved in together was a video game console. So that Can't interest what came... That would be, but they played them. Yeah. It definitely, it's not something they were fearful of or thought they should steer me away from. Did you did Batra ever comment on, on it or anything like if... Like with I your mum and dad playing them or anything like that? No, I, suppose you I really can't remember. That. I don't think there was anything... Um, puritanical about oh these will poison your mind or anything like that no I remember I used to go to my batches and I always used to take videotapes to watch when my mum and dad were at work or mm. in summer holidays and I took uh, I used to take things like Beetlejuice and I used to take a VHS that came free with a SNES magazine which was a full playthrough of Street Fighter and I once took a copy of True Lies 
which my dad had okayed. But then it got to the point where Jamie Lee Curtis was strip teasing, mm-hmm. and my batch was like, oh, "What is this? This is going <laughs> off. This is going <laughs> off right now." So it's interesting that she, that well, obviously she go. Um, I think we're going to turn this off. But Beetlejuice, that be, if she, especially if she's very religious, Beetlejuice seems pretty. Um, depictions of afterlife. Maybe and I'm. People I just don't back. think she would have focused what was going on. Right, yeah, just it looks like a like a daft play, yeah, like rocky horror or something. She'd be, like, she'd be somewhere else in the she house. Of wasn't, course, wasn't in the minutiae. It's, it's keeping me quiet. Excuse me, is this a representation of the afterlife as a doctor's waiting room? That's is he, a, little is bit, he a demon? Uh, that's a little bit disrespectful. Is he a demon or a devil? Why is he? <laughs> he's a ghost. <laughs> he's, a, he's a ledge is what he is. He's, a, um, he's, the, uh, he's the world's best bioexorcist. Yeah. <laughs> Can we, a uh, little bit of respect, please, Grandma? Uh, <laughs> so there was none of that, but the actual sort of interest in games came from your parents. Then they were playing them, and they um, yeah, I think so. Um, don't think they would have ever um, followed what games were coming out or anything like that. Right. But they didn't mind me getting them, and they were quite happy to get me them for Christmas and birthday presents. And when we had an Amiga. I remember quite fondly one of my earliest memories of playing video games we've been playing with my mum and just playing demo discs, playing co-op stuff, just sifting through all these demos that we had and playing each one for like 20 minutes. Mm. Like you know, playing things like co-op Pac-Man <laughs> and just weird stuff that I can't even tell you the names of. Yeah. We just used to have these big racks of floppy disks and go through them and play them together. So when it came around to me getting a bit older and me asking for a NES and a SNES, it, it, they were more than happy to get me one. Um, but yeah, we didn't have loads of money, didn't have loads of games. But the, I think the bigger influence actually would have been my cousin who is five years older than me. Hmm. So because he was five years older, he had like stuff, like better stuff than me. Because <laughs> when you're 10, it's all about what stuff do you have? Yeah. Not that it's not like that now for some people, but what do you have? And he's got, he's got a SNES, he's got, he's got Street Fighter 2. And a really vivid memory would be going around on Christmas Day every year, going up to his room and just playing video games all day, all his new video games. Because nice. he'd always have the, the newest console. He had a PlayStation first, he had a Dreamcast first. <clears throat> yeah. I never had a Dreamcast. I got his PlayStation when he moved on to the next thing. Yeah. So I used to have his hand-me-downs a little bit. And just having really fond memories of just playing Street Fighter 2 for seven hours on Christmas Day with him and periodically running downstairs to do a buffet run <laughs> and cramming as many pickled onions in my mouth as what as I could, um, which probably nice. didn't help with the weight or the acne. Um, and then running back upstairs. The running probably helped. Uh, running back upstairs and yeah. just playing for more hours on Street Fighter. Or I remember playing... Can't imagine a life like that at all. It's uh, um, a good life, isn't it? Yeah. Um, or playing, when he had um, a Dreamcast playing um, House of the Dead, but he only had one light gun. So I'd always be playing with controller, which is a crap way <laughs> of playing it. But I was so happy to be playing it. I was like, yeah, let's do this. Oh, you, you, you can have the controller, yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> there's, something, yeah there's something about that era as well where you, I, if I had an older brother or an older person you knew. Who who had the, yeah the the latest thing or the better graphics yeah. thing or you go over and like someone in the village I was in they went over and they had they had a better setup I think I had I had the Commodore and they had the Amiga you know before I got an Amiga they had the the Amiga and going over there and playing put, putting playing workbench play, making the computer speak what you typed type naughty words in. <laughs> <laughs> God, yeah. Um, but my mum got really obsessive with the Amiga. She um, she did this a few times, I remember growing up, where she'd get really into a game. Lemmings was the first one I really remember. She would quite frequently stay up to 2, 3 a.m. playing <laughs> Lemmings. Amazing. Just so into it, playing until 3 a.m. <laughs> and then years later, she did the same with Pikmin. Yeah. She's big into gardening. It's a it's perfect Venn diagram of her interests. Beautifully matched. And she played the Game Boy Color for a long time, DS for a long time, but now she's just gone full on to iPad and just plays. She actually plays much less interesting games. She plays Candy Crush, and that's about it now. I wonder what... She's played a lot of different games, but yeah, she's kind of given up on all them. I wonder what that quality is where you don't... Maybe it's just the non-violent approach. Maybe it's just yeah. the fact that, because you think, well, so why, if your mum was so into it, 
why did she drop off playing things and, and not go, mm. I'm gonna take this I'm gonna take this further. Like what what do you need what is do you need in you in terms of how you like games to go, now I want something that's more complicated. Like, you know, if you like films or if you're really into music, you you might start with a certain thing and you might look back and go, Oh, that was a bit simplistic, that thing I used to like. Now I like this more because it's got this amount of nuance and it's got multiple threads going through it and that's what I need now from my stuff. I wonder what well, I think in terms of my, I think she just likes putting her feet up. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. It's, but, it's but different. But still yeah, to play that long and no, not just I, go. It's more. I than really a bit don't know because I a couple of years ago for a Christmas present, I bought her the twenty best reviewed games on iPad that year, mm. like a mixture of like things like Monument Valley and lots of lots of stuff. I don't think she ever played them. And I don't know why she's kind yeah. of gone off uh, off those kind I, of... I just remember being fascinated with them immediately. You know, I played... Ro- first thing I played was Roadrunner on an Amstrad. And just being chased by Wiley Coyote and just being thrilled. And, d- like, I was, thinking, I was like four or five, not even getting past the first screen. Do you know what I mean? That's the only early memory I've got is of playing the fucking it's video It's kind of interesting, like, not getting past the first screen. I had so many video games that... I don't think I used to get very far in any of them at all. No, especially at that time. There were nails, like I Ghosts and Goblins. I used to enjoy... I think that's what I used to do when I had an Amiga. I would put a disc in, I'd play the first level, and then change it. And, and because I had all these options, it it led to that style of gaming where I'd play that for five minutes, play something else. Mm. Very rarely on the Amiga did I get deep into any game. Mm. And then I think when I went to consoles where games were more expensive, it was a bit more like bit more hey you got to focus on this because you're not getting another one of these for a while yeah so you would chip away at it yeah and then play it again as soon as you finished it and just learn it learn the ins and outs of it which is probably where i think this kind of retro thing games come today that appeal to older people is where they have that uh you know the new game plus or the reason to master it and play through it again and you know i think that all comes from people who grew up playing games like that and were forced to play it again because that's all you had to play um, seeing as my brain is just uh, hell bent on tangents today, I'm gonna I'm gonna let it do what it wants, uh, not fight not fight the process. Um, it just made me think of something else. Video game violence, Dan. Yeah, it's wicked, isn't it? It's wicked. <laughs> can you can you remember the first instance? Because you when you talked about demo discs, you made me think of a demo disc Ooh, I played on the. Amiga. I remember I remember having Mortal Kombat. Yeah. For Amiga, and I remember. Um, think my next door neighbor's son came around who was significantly older than I was at the time so I was probably I don't know just guessing probably like 10 maybe even a bit younger and um, I don't think my mum and dad were super hot on what I should and shouldn't play mm. so we had Mortal Kombat because it was the big new exciting video game and my neighbor's son who was maybe five years old came around maybe more and I just accidentally did the fatality for Sub-Zero where you right. rip the head off. Right. And I just remember going, oh my God. Interesting. Look at that. Yeah. And just such a thrill. <laughs> I, remember, I remember playing. Because you know that's naughty. Yes. Like you, you see that, you go, that is naughty. Yeah. I know I shouldn't be seeing that. Yeah, yeah. But isn't that brilliant? Yeah. <laughs> isn't that brilliant? I was quite like, I quite like gruesome stuff. I find that child. interesting though because like, I think your parents have done the job if you look at something and go, I'm not supposed to see that. Yeah. They've done the job they need to have done. They were pretty laid back parents, if yeah. I'm really that really honest. I don't think I was a difficult child, so don't think they had to be very prescriptive with me and yeah. do your homework, do this, because I think mm. I always had, I was always quite self-motivated as a kid to do well. Mm. Again, probably like fear of, crippling embarrassment it's like I don't want to not do well yeah. I don't want to be in that situation so I was always very conscientious as a kid and quite yeah where well, do you think that <laughs> well comes behaved. back from then where do you think that comes from then if your parents were laid, quite laid back so that they weren't going you know you might you might imagine uh, someone might be like that because the parents are like make sure you do your absolute best no you've uh, made a mistake no if they were like don't worry about it and you were still like I mustn't I mustn't do badly <sighs> It's really hard to do that stuff in retrospect because I yeah. think you graft on t- stories and yeah. arcs onto why you might behave like that. Yes, it um, might be a bit more complex. I don't know. Like, um, 
and I always got told stories that my dad was really bright and uh, maybe didn't fulfill his potential, if I'm being brutally honest. Mm. He went to a really good university and then dropped out for some reason that no one really knows about. Um, well, I don't. Nobody's ever told me. <laughs> um, I don't think it's something awful. I think he just gave up. Sure. And it was never really told about. It's like, oh, he's, he, he didn't finish his degree and, and he was really talented at writing and lots of things. And... Mm. I, th I don't know. If you wanted to graft on the narrative, you could do that. I think it was more just I was a really good student and I just really wanted to do well because I didn't want to... I don't know. I think I wasn't particularly great at sport. I was really good at art and I was really good at like school. Mm. And I was like, I could, I could, be, I could do really well at this. And I just, uh, maybe it's like slightly competitive as well. I don't know. Yes, maybe it's the, and also like that pressure cooker of high school is, or secondary school is that you go in there and... You see everyone before that. It's before that, that's that's Raman joining in. Yeah, before right. that, it's a relatively small world that you're in. Yeah. And then you jump into secondary school, and I think it's almost like you're just around so many people. Some are really good at things, some are less good at things. Every other kid is constantly judging you. The fact that you've got all these scores that you need to be, you know, SATs and whatever you and GCSEs. I still occasionally wake up thinking, oh, I've got an exam to do. Because uh. we were so heavily examined from a certain age i was doing yes. exams like it felt like every six months past a certain age and that's maybe that's part quite of a horrible thing yeah um yeah that's easily part of it I think. that is the one kind of recurring dream i have is like exactly. having a test that i've not prepared for bloody hell i have that dream i wouldn't say a lot but semi-regularly <laughs> semi-regularly just every night Every other night, every other night. Every other two hours. And then just panic. <laughs> Start running. About. But I do, and then yeah. I wake up going, I never have to do an exam. Again. <laughs> That's the upside, right? You're like, brilliant. Yes. <laughs> I'm a no grown-up now. completed one year um, down one year down um just always think it must it's not easy to take the plunge on something like this to leave as we were saying leave a secure job one that you really enjoyed mm -hmm. and you can do and i know you're a fan of planning and getting make sure you're having things in the right order but you can do as much of that as you like that there will be unexpected things that come up yeah and, and nothing absolutely. certain and setting up something like this, as I say, it, even with your contingency plans, you just don't know how it's going to go. Um, and I think, but I think the reason the show does well is you've got this sort of cocktail of elements that work together nicely. You've got, as we were saying, the three distinct personalities. You've got the genuine friendship. I'm sure. I'm sure it's genuine, right? Right. It's not I'm, all for the I'm cameras. I'm not revealing mate. to you whether it's genuine or not, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and those are the elements that they mean something to the people who watch it, and that's why people tune in. Yeah. They don't necessarily even tune in for what you're playing. Yeah, that um, was the surprising thing. That was the alchemy at work in the first series because made lots of things at iGen over the years with lots of different people, and some of them found audiences, some of them didn't. Some of them were just ideas that lived on the idea rather than the person in the video. Hmm. And we were playing at that time as a four or five year old game and hmm. no one expected it to do all that well. We thought it'd be a fun series and a good idea. And then when the views started going up and up and the repeat views, you know, they're not all unique. So I think the first episode of Prepare to Try is on over half a million views now. Right. And I think a lot of them are repeat views mm. because people, the whole show is structured more like a season of a t like TV show without being too lofty. But each episode tries to have like an end point, like a high, a climax, yeah. usually a boss. The next episode, there's a new area, something quite exciting about the the majority of the episode, again, building towards a climax. And within, obviously, the course of a series and a game, you have people's favorite areas, favorite bosses. So people come up to go, oh, this is my favorite episode from season two which you don't get with a lot of the Let's Plays, which are 
quite formless. So it has a structure, which a lot of other Let's Play series, by and large, don't. It's more just, I'm going to play for an hour of time and I'll stop when I'm done. Yeah. Or whatever. Um, so we were really surprised by how many people got into it because our friendship evolved over the course of that first series. Like, over that first series, we'd worked together for a couple of years, but we weren't bosom chums. Mm. And we definitely have got closer and closer by going through these shows together. So people have literally seen our friendship evolve on screen, uh, even though it has evolved off screen as well, yeah. by doing this stuff. So yeah, that was the, the most surprising, unexpected element of it. I think that's what people can relate to because I know a lot of people come to you and you know, it offers some emotional comfort and, and helps them through things or either going through or have been through. And, and that must have been an unexpected sort of additional uh, quality yeah. of it, right? Yeah, because when you're making it, you're in a room just disconnected from the world and it sometimes goes out a lot later. But then when we've done community events, which in turn, the response that we got at community events when we did like a, we did a couple of anniversary things called Finchie Fest where we sold tickets just to cover costs and people came. It was the response that we got at those events in part that led us to take the plunge to go independent because we thought, oh, this is something different. People's passion for this thing seems special and we'd be foolish not to explore it. And at those events, we've met people who said it's helped them through cancer, it's helped them with severe depression. Um, there's one guy at an event, and people always really sleek because they want to share this experience with you, but they're also hesitant because they don't want to like, they don't want to dump it on you because it's quite heavy stuff. Yeah. Um, but I'm okay talking about heavy stuff like that. And even though I've probably at the time had about five beers, <laughs> I remember one guy telling me how his brother. Um, was terminally ill but they watched the final episode of a season together but just before yeah. he died yeah. and you're like you know wow you're like floored by it but then when you unpack it it's such a lovely thing because it's a distraction for people and if you want to read into it really deeply you can see maybe why people take such comfort from it because it's a really positive show mm. it's you know if you read deeply into it it's about overcoming hard things together through support and love of your friends and th it doesn't matter if you don't do it first time you can overcome the big scary monster is the thing i always say and obviously there's a very obvious analog with mental <laughs> yeah. health problems there yeah. but just in general it and in, in addition to that it's also just us talking shit for an hour and being mates and yeah. that's quite nice and distracting as well so you can read it deeply you can read it in a very light way yeah sometimes and all you need yeah is a couple of mates to talk shit with yeah and that's the thing that really made us think, whoa, I'd rather we spent a bigger proportion of our lives doing this than just trying to squeeze it around doing other things. So do you think it's, it's given you uh, a different angle on what job satisfaction is? I mean, even though being told something like that is incredibly sad, you do think, bloody hell, I'm glad we made that. And I, there are no words to really say in a moment like that when somebody comes to you with that. You just want to listen to them and ask questions and ask questions about the person they lost. But a thing that I kind of say is I'm really glad we were there for people even though we didn't know it was happening at the time. Mm. Because we don't know. The episode is just live and people can watch it and rewatch it whenever they need to or when they're having a rough time. And it's just, uh, that is obviously one of the most satisfying things you do. Like, we're having loads of fun just making silly videos. But we know they mean a lot to people. How satisfying is that? I'd rather we did that than we had like billions and billions of views that are meaningless. We're making something and to a big proportion of our audience, really, they really, really care about it. And not just in terms of stuff they're dealing with in life. They'll go, oh, do you know that joke in um, season three, episode four? I go, I just made it was four years ago. I can't. <laughs> we were filming for 10 hours. I don't. <laughs> but I think it's incredible. The amount of people that are into the draw pictures of Finchie, that a weird joke, a really stupid joke that we made off the cuff four years ago, yeah. uh, just a reference to The Office, now has a life of its own. 
and there's this weird frog thing that lives on the internet that which performs higher on Google search than if you type Finchy that's from the office <laughs> which is brilliant <laughs> really we've displaced Finchy from the office <laughs> with a with a frog creature frog that now has its own weird woman. lore that kind of reincarnates from game to game like Doctor Who <laughs> yeah. and periodically we have to feel questions about the canon the of canon. these avatar creatures that we've made this is not something I expected to be doing in my 30s Gar Gary if I'm honest <laughs> they called you Gavin then <laughs> <in your> brain. <laughs> I remember like, I think we were we relaunched a Patreon the other day and somebody in on the post on Patreon said um, to Gav oh it's on Facebook actually he said to Gav is uh, Mama Finchie from our Dark Souls 2 Let's Play is she the mother of the other Finchies <laughs> and Gav was like I'm going to have to get back to you on that question <laughs> <laughs>